0: Hi everyone, I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues actually, and I'm pretty sure you do too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Did you know that She's Got Issues has a magazine called, what else would it be called, Issues? And issue number one is out. You can find it at she'sgotissues.com, which is in the show notes. I'm really proud of it and excited about it. So I would love you to check it out and let me know what you think. Julie Cole is a recovered lawyer, mom of six, and co-founder of The Fabulous Mabel's Labels. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, best-selling author, and sought-after speaker and emcee. Julie is no stranger to the media, having appeared on a ton of television shows and in lots of magazines and all of the places. While Julie is not juggling her busy family and professional life, she's an engaged community member serving on boards and volunteering. Julie's passionate about women's issues, mentoring young entrepreneurs, and social justice. And I'm so happy to have her here today. Julie, you are someone I have admired from afar for a really long time, and I was so happy to get to meet you in person a couple of weeks ago at the Mom2 conference. Um, So you founded Mabel's Labels, which I don't think there's a mother, and that sounds sexist, but whatever, I think it's kind of true. I don't think there's a mother alive who doesn't know Mabel's Labels because it is the go-to place for labels, for camp, for school, for trips, for... Absolutely everything. So tell me, take me back and tell me how this all started. Right, right. Well, it's so good to be here. And
1: I loved, loved, loved meeting you at Mom 2.0. And it was so cool that we actually got to share speaking on a panel together because it was awesome to share that space with you. So, um, yes, Mabel's Labels, we just had our 20th birthday. And uh, so we've been making a lot of labels over the years. But yeah, let me tell you how it all started, really, because I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, you have to understand your why. And for me, there were two whys. So, the first why was that there was a product missing from the market. You know, I was a young mom, same with my co founders, and we were losing stuff and and using permanent marker and masking tape, and it looked ugly and didn't do the job. So, we thought, hey, there's got to be something out there that can, you know, be super durable and cute so that we can label our kids' belongings. And there really wasn't. So, Which is amazing. That, I know, know. 20 years
0: ago, there wasn't. That's crazy. I know.
1: And you know, it's funny because a lot of people, like when we start, they're like, oh, I'll just be able to print this off on my computer. And it's like, no, you won't. Like no, you the can't. amount now, like if you wanted to go through the dishwasher and microwave and washer and dryer and be, you know, UV resistant and all that, it's not just a label you put through your machine at home. Um, and that, I mean, that's a whole other research and development and testing, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. So basically, yeah, the one why was that we um yeah, we had a product missing from the market. So, you know, people always say to me, Oh, how do I come up with a great idea? I'm like, find something that pisses you off and fix it. There you go. It's that that's really good advice, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, So there's that. And then the second reason why for me was that um, at the time, my eldest, I have six children, the eldest of my six children uh, had just turned three and received an autism diagnosis. And I joke that I'm a recovered lawyer. Um, But I really did find that in all the research I did that being in the traditional workforce would make it pretty difficult for me to be able to provide the programming for him, advocate mm-hmm. for him, do all the things I wanted to be able to do. And to be honest, he had only just turned three and already had two younger siblings. So it was busy anyway. Just a tad. Just a tad. So um, yeah, so he got diagnosed, and that's when I went to my co-founders. I'm like, okay, we had this great idea. I need to drop out of the traditional workforce, but I love working and I love, you know, I love entrepreneurship. So I was like, what do you think? And they're like, yep, let's do this. So
0: that's it. 20 years of label making in a nutshell. And what was the first label? How did you produce the first labels? What was the first label? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So our first label was our simple rectangular label. And that's the one that goes through the dishwasher and the microwave. And that's the one that would go on like the bottles and the sippy cups and the wipes containers. And And it's durable as shit. It really is. Like you're like... Yes, they will outlast the belonging you've put them on, you know? So, um, that was our very first one. And then, of course, our first marketing adventure was like writing a letter to all of our friends and family saying, we've Mm -hmm. got this website. Can you please buy our labels? And that was, you know, I think we spent $100 on stamps. Keep in mind, this is 20 years ago. There was no social media. There was was word of mouth. That was, was... all word about word a mom, yeah. right? And moms talk like we talk like mm-hmm. it's our full time job about products we love. You know how this works, right? Um, so yeah, we just relied very heavily on that. And look, it was it was pretty unglamorous in those early days. Like we started off um, in my sister's basement. My sister's one of my partners. That was a basement um, where businesses start. <laughs> Basements or garages, kitchen tables yes. too, very classic. Yes. Yep. And everyone yep. everyone's first employee was their mother. My mother was no exception. Uh-huh. She was writing <laughs> envelopes with her because she had the neatest handwriting oh. before we had printers to print. Thank God for moms. envelopes, oh, I know. So, um, we were in those days, you know, in the basement doing production from like eight till two AM a couple times a week and then going home, raising kids, going back to the basement. And like it was it was really uncivilized when I think about it, which is, which is why I actually laugh, Jill, because like People tend to really romanticize entrepreneurship and they think, oh TED Talks and and uh, book deals and blah, blah all that. it really looks a lot like making labels in a basement till 2 am
0: oh, it's like it looks like I used to go to the grocery store and I made, scary mommy bookmarks and I'd put them in all the magazines and at the airport bookstores and all the parenting things. Oh my God. I was, I I wore my swag. I I did like so much guerrilla marketing, um, which was so fun because that's what I studied in school. And it was so exciting to be able to implement it and like see it happening in real time. It was so cool. It was,
1: you know, those were scary times because we just didn't know, right? Like, I mean, we have fairly good early indicators that our product made sense because, you know, people would see it out in the wild. And, and and again, the mom's talking about it. You know, a kid goes to camp with Mabel's Labels. They're like, what are those magical things on your water bottle? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of talk like that. So those were scary days, but I, I, I'm sure you can relate. They were There was an energy and fun around the, that early stage that... That vibe that you just you just can't you can't bottle that shit, man. No, if you, could, you, you know, can't.
0: It's, oh, no, it's magic. And I have that now. I'm starting that, and I have that yes. feeling that like fire, and it's it feels so good. And it just um, I missed it. And I after Scary Mommy, I didn't know if I'd ever get it back. And I because I'm oh, I've always been an entrepreneur. At heart, I just am, but that whole experience just did such a number on me that I for thought, sure like that spark was just gone. <laughs> but, um, but
1: it's kind of like, Jill, like, you know, when you have your first baby, you're like, oh my God, I love this thing so much. And then you're pregnant with your second. You're like, there's no way I'll be able to love it as much. It's kind of like uh-huh. your second business. Yes. <laughs> well, yes I feel totally. the spark
0: again. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. So how, how many co-founders do you have? Okay. So, there were four
1: of us. Uh, So, it was me, my sister, and then actually two of our friends who we went to college with. And they actually went um, on to marry my brother and I have a young uncle. So, it ended up being a really like... That's so
0: sweet. I know.
1: Like four friends and also like family, right? So, it was... uh, It was, but that's not without its challenges too, of course. I you was co Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think especially in those early days, having four of us, I mean, this can be really, I'm sure this is, you were a solo entrepreneur, so you got this. We could divide and conquer, you know, like mm-hmm. there would be one person at the airports filling and then one person talking to the bank and then one person putting, you know, materials through our R&D. And like, so we could really, and I think our early growth having the four of us and it also made it not lonely like mm-hmm. entrepreneurship especially in those days before social media could be a ve- like parenting um could be a very lonely totally. journey like a very lonely journey so for us, you know, if we were ever feeling down or, you know, I could go in and be like, oh guys, are we really going to be able to do this? I'm feeling, and they'd be like, we got this cool. Don't worry. We got, you know, Amazing. so we could really be each other's hype girls, which uh, which we needed. And it also meant that we weren't relying on our spouses
0: to provide
1: mm-hmm. that for us. Like I found a lot of my solo entrepreneur friends really, really involved their spouses in it. Whereas ours just kind of were like, They just we would tell them like what's going on, but they weren't involved. Like it really was us four women.
0: I love that. I love that so much. And so amazing that they're lifelong friends and family, and there was no going on like LinkedIn and hiring and having to worry about people. Like that's just such a built-in. Comfort.
1: For sure. Yeah, for sure. And it was great also in those early days because, you know, you think we have four different brains coming to the table, right? Mm-hmm. So we it's had a lot of brains. It's a lot, right? But, you know, yeah, I had the legal one, was a graphics person, one was a financial planner, one was a teacher. So there was all sorts of different, and we were able to bring those skill sets to the table and, and share them. Also, meant lots of feisty conversations. So we did have to really practice how to communicate with each other and and make sure what goes on in the boardroom. You know, we don't let it trickle out to our personal lives. Like we had to really, you know, manage that because we all have like all our kids are cousins and like we have a, we
0: own a cottage together. Like,
1: oh, so there's no escaping
0: each other. <laughs> I love that I, because I I was someone who involved my ex in yep. the building. Of course. He was just, yeah. He was there for all of it in a way that it would have been much more fun to have girlfriends, um, and it would have, yeah, it would have been healthier. Yeah, I think my marriage would have ended sooner. But yeah, right, yes. But Um, I think you do have to put things in
1: place too, even with like the girlfriends. Like you do have to get a shareholders agreement in place while you're all still Mm -hmm. friends, because you know, marriage divorce is crummy, and so is business partner divorce.
0: Right? Yep, can be complicated did you ever reach any impasses that were tough to recover from um you know
1: what i think not because we like we've since been acquired um so we sold our company as you know about 5 years ago and a lot of them were like okay we've been doing this for 14 years we this all is aligned you know it's t- it's time to move on and do other things i'm the only one still there i'm still loving it um oh, okay. and yeah, so everybody else has moved on to do other things. I think maybe if we had stayed on longer, I mean 14 years together was probably enough because yeah. You know, like it was we were still kind of leading it as co-CEOs and that's that's busy. That's complicated. That's yeah. that's crowded is what that is. And, yeah. you know, it just uh and what ends up happening is that you know, so one's in charge of marketing, one's in charge of production you inevitably get a little protective of your departments. So then you start working in silos. So I think it really was time that we had one CEO rather than four co-CEOs. And how we would have got through that, who knows? I'd like to think we would have managed it, but I think we exited at the right time.
0: Yep. I have a co-CEO this round, which is an entirely different experience than starting it by myself on the couch. um, It's much more thought out. Yeah. She's very meticulous about numbers and she's, she's all the business. I'm all the creative. Well, and see, so. that's,
1: what's great because, you know, you get some like one of my partners was super entrepreneurial, like, you know, ideas galore. And that's probably you, Jill, like the ideas galore. And then it was like, okay, well, luckily we have a couple people who are good at process so they can yes. finish up, like clean up the mess behind her, you know, but we needed all of those skills. We needed all those personalities. So this allows you, Jill, to do the things that you're great at and you love and lights your fire and then your process person gets to do
0: what they what they love too. Totally. And sometimes it's a buzzkill because I'll be like, here are my five thousand ideas. I want to do them all now. And she's like, okay, you know, let's pick three to (laughs) focus. She's just, you know, so oh my gosh, measured and thoughtful. And I get so frustrated because I'm like, I want to do mixing. We used to say, like, because our ideas girl, she would always come out
1: with all these ideas. And we would say ideas are like horses. We put them in the barn and about every year, let's trot them all back out, have a look. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just need to put a bullet in that horse's head and put, like, not pull it out again. Like when you've yeah. argued it and argued it and talked about it, sometimes you just have to let some of those ideas go, right? Because you can't do everything.
0: Yeah. No, you can't. Yeah. So when did things shift from word of mouth and you know just moms seeing things at camp to holy shit, this is big. Honestly, social media. It was a
1: huge game changer for us because suddenly, you know, moms weren't just talking about us at the side of the soccer field or the daycare drop off or, you know, they were talking about us on their mom blogs. They were talking Mm -hmm. about us, you know, on their Facebook. They this was we were like the first company that started partnering with like the mommy bloggers back in the day. Yeah. Like we would be like, we notice little Jack is heading to kindergarten. Here's some labels for Jack. Do you want to do a giveaway? And they'd be like, yes, we were doing that right from the start. And I think, you know, we built up a, a big community, you know, we've got a, maybe two hundred fifty thousand Facebook fans. Of course, now now our moms, twenty years later, are on Instagram and TikTok. So we've got a big following there. You go where your market is, right? Yeah. Um, so I, it really was, it really was social media because it
0: provided a vehicle
1: for our word of mom, our word of
0: mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you? How did the sale come about? When did you decide? Was that a goal from early on, or did that right. sort of evolve? it
1: was like my advice would be know what your exit plan is plan for that because you're going to you're going to manage your company differently depending on if it's a legacy business or if it's going to be acquired and you want to you want to manage that anyway we didn't do any of that um, but we were you know what we 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 got a call out of the blue and it was from Avery labels who is owned by CCL and they said hey We've been watching you guys. We love what you do. Can we have a conversation? And you know, the four of us are like, well, it has been 14 years. We know that we yeah. have to do something big. We know it's time for some sort of shift. What, what harm is there in having a conversation? Mm-hmm. So we had the conversation, and that was in July, and we closed end of December. So that's very fast. That's a very fast closing, as you know. Um, but really, it just came down to they were holding on to our brand. It was staying in the same location. I mean, they yeah. are savvy enough to know that to come in and try and make it Avery's Mabel's labels. Like we created a beautiful brand. That's what they wanted. Right. We kept our staff on, we kept like our cultures, you know, pretty much the same. I mean, obviously. When I when we were in charge, if we were having a 20th anniversary party, we would go all out and spend all the money on it. Whereas now we have a budget for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you can still have the party. We can still have the party, but also we're very well supported now. If we need some extra help in HR, if we need some extra help in designing our like they have actual full-time employees who work for them oh. that design production facilities and they just came and designed as a production facility. So there are a lot of benefits that come too. So I really think it was them not changing the culture. um the price, you know, I wasn't going to give this bad boy away. We needed to make sure, especially having four of us, we're only getting a quarter of the piece a quarter of the pie, right? So we made sure of that. And,
0: um, yeah, we just it it just felt right at the time. Mm-hmm. It's very impressive that they didn't change the culture. And yeah. that was I feel like this this the dream transition is that because mine (laughs) was not like that. It was like it at the very beginning and there was a lot of respect for what I built and how I built it. But then when it became apparent that I was not taking advantage of all of the advertising opportunities and sponsorships and money, 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 you know, right. that just trumped everything. And, and the thing is, like, when you do that, when you do that, like, we try to live by our core values.
1: And, and sometimes when you do that, if you take sponsorship from a company you don't believe in, or if you collaborate with a yucky that doesn't align with your core values, then you're actually missing opportunities to collaborate with people who do and companies that oh, do. Oh, totally. You know? Totally. And, and sometimes the big
0: man doesn't see that stuff. No. Big man I, doesn't see a lot. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. <laughs> so the sale went well, which is amazing. You, you and your co-founders still have a wonderful relationship, which is amazing. Have there been any lessons that you've learned entrepreneurship wise, um, throughout Along this? The way. I know I would do yeah. so many things differently. Yeah. So uh,
1: hey, look, there's a, there's a load of lessons, right? Um, uh, I've got a few for sure. Um, one would be to um, hire slow and fire fast. I feel like, you know, getting the right people on the bus is key. Your people are everything. People are everything. Um, so, How many employees do you have now? We have 50, about 50. Okay. And that goes to probably about 80 during like back to school season, like summer. Yeah, we hire yeah. all sorts of like students, yeah, college students people. and stuff. Yeah. Um, So I would say that's it. I think one of the early mistakes was that we held on to people for too long when they Mm -hmm. weren't a culture fit. And I I get so hard to fire people. Firing people's the the worst. I always say, if you sleep the night before you fire somebody, you are dead inside. Like you would never sleep the night before you fire somebody, and that's that's okay. Um, But they still need to go. And I know like that. Your, your team doesn't want to see people fired, but they do want to see them gone because they do bring down they do bring down the energy. They do you're, you can't afford your small business. you can't afford to pay people who are not aligned and are not productive. Like it's just you're not a charity. You know what the other lesson we learned was you get in front of it. So that's where you bake in your core values to the interview process when you're going through all those resumes, you know, I can teach anyone to make labels. Can I teach anyone to uh, understand the way we operate and and how, you know, how we relate to our customers and how we... Not always, right? So, we try to bake that stuff into the interview process through questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I feel like... It's very rare now that we do a bad hire. Like we, we've we done, I just look at our team right now. Our managed treatment team is the best it's ever been. It brings me such mm-hmm. joy. And I actually love that I'm reporting to the general manager who I once hired on a contract in 2009. Oh. Like I love it. So I think, you know, that hiring slow, firing fast is so, so important and getting the right people on the bus and exiting them quickly. And, you know, you don't have to be mean about it, but you have to be quick about it. And we always, always provide support and we overcompensate. We yeah. always have a backup plan. Somebody's going to help them with the resume. You know, we do all the kind things. We spend money on a good exit. Yeah, good, good. That's yeah, that's, that's important. Important. Yeah. So, and I mean, the other thing with HR too is that And like as you know, as your company grows, you you got you gotta get pretty comfortable being uncomfortable because as soon as you think you know what you're doing, you've experienced growth and you're on to the next thing. And that was us, like HR, you know, we're in a basement and we're like oh, I don't, we've got some employees now. Is this even legal? It's a dungeon down here. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, contractors are an entrepreneur's best friend, you know, just hire a contractor to help you with some hiring, with some putting some job specs together. You don't have to have them on your payroll, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, keep in mind that contractors are wonderful for when you're starting out, but you need the work done because you're not the expert. And if you spend time you know, doing your taxes and writing the HR policies when you know nothing about these things, you're not doing the things that you need to focus on, which is growing your business and doing what you do well and only you
0: can do. One of the hardest work things I had to do was I was hired to um, be the editor-in-chief of The Mid, which was like a Scary Mommy, Scary Mommy spin-off for like Gen X, sort of what I'm doing now. So The Mid was a site that spun off of Scary Mommy that was meant for just Gen X women. So it had like humor and everything. And... When I was hired, I looked at the um salaries and what they were paying people. And it was there had it had to change. And the way it had to change was laying people off who were full-time employees. And I had to lay off an author who had a son in college and had she was living by herself and had a terrible divorce. And it gutted me, and i she proceeded to write an article about it. Um, that I never read, but I felt so I lost so seriously, I lost so much sleep over it, but it just didn't make sense. We were paying her what we could pay like eight people and I right. just couldn't be rationalized. But I know sometimes making those business
1: uh, decisions is hard, right? But you have to you have to make them. I mean, you've got
0: yeah, it's uh it, it's not easy, that's for sure. No. Did you always were you always an entrepreneur when you were does it go back to when you were a kid? No, not really. I've always
1: been like I was very um the job I wanted was the job I ended up doing. I I wanted to do family law. I like the idea of, you know, going after deadbeat dads and, and getting um you know restraining orders from like working with women who are in, in, in tough situations, that sort of thing. And that was what I was kind of doing. Um, so yeah, I thought I would probably be like you know, part of the part of the system. um and but then life changes. but you know, I think of entrepreneurship as I think of any other talent. So, like, I, th- I do think some people are born entrepreneurial and they have a talent mm-hmm. for it. Um, just like some people are born musical and they're just mm-hmm. naturally musical. But it doesn't mean somebody who's not naturally musical can't learn to play the piano or can't le- learn to play guitar or pick up another instrument. It takes practice. It takes know-how. It takes years of experience. So I do feel now quite entrepreneurial, but I feel like it was a skill I gained as opposed mm-hmm. to being born with. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that makes total
0: sense. I don't know if it's right. That's just my theory. <laughs> no, there's. I I've just always wondered because it's. I yeah. I've been coming up with businesses since I can remember. I See, you're making, that guy. Yeah, I'm totally that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I can't imagine my my what fueled me with scary mommy for a long time when it stopped being fun was that I wasn't at least I wasn't working for some random guy, right? <laughs> that was, like I did not want to be back in an office and I did not want to have a male boss. And I just it, that fueled me to keep you know, committing to scary mommy.
1: It's so true. And I can relate to that. Like I feel like the unique opportunity you have when you start a business is to create the culture that you want. Right. Mm-hmm. So I actually we always have been very flexible, very you know productivity like not not judging people by is your seat in the office from nine to five every day like we've been very more like we know that we can be productive we were doing business plans on play days and like putting (laughs) kids to bed and then working till midnight to get stuff done we knew that women could be very productive at very untraditional times and untraditional places so that was a culture that we were very results focused rather than just just presenteeism so it and that works
0: for us. It doesn't... Uh, totally. It, it, I mean, that's... You have... That's how... I totally. can't imagine building my business without sitting in a carpool line on the computer and waiting right. at a baseball game. All that stuff. Uh, it's just, you're obsessed. Uh, and it's so great because then, like, people at our office, they don't have to
1: pretend they're sick because they want to go to their kid's Christmas concert. concert. They just mm-hmm. go. Or, they, you know, if they've got a dentist appointment, like, they don't have to pretend. Like, just do. Like, nobody has to minimize their screen because they're on Facebook or something. Like, good. Right. Whatever. Um, but... Uh, interesting advantage of that was that i found that once the pandemic hit and all these companies were like pivot we gotta work mm-hmm. from home we gotta get the tech we gotta we were already set up we already knew everybody kind of knew right? how to work from home everybody knew how to be results focused everybody already had those like close relationships with their managers and we're checking in and having those like morning check-ins and end of day check-ins to see where everybody's at so it wasn't a big transition for us so it was quite was Quite smooth, and I thought all these like very male patriarchal companies who the nine to five suits quite comfortably because mm-hmm. there's an assumption that they have a woman picking up the kids from daycare or home, and oftentimes do because we know that women are carrying the, the mother load still. I mean, there's a bazillion yeah. studies that tell us that we're the default parent. Um, so you know, for us, it was kind of like a ha ha ha, you know, when uh, when COVID happened and our workforce was primed and ready to go.
0: Uh Uh-huh. I hear that because I feel like Scary Mommy was sort of looked at by some upper management as a little bit of a motley crew that was just random people from all over, and we were ne- we'd never even met in person, um, and we did everything virtually. And they just thought that was so weird, and they wanted everybody in the office at least four days a week, and no flexibility. And then, yeah, COVID it shows them. Yep, they no longer rent this crazy office, and right, yep. So did COVID have any other surprising positives?
1: Yeah, like I think a positive for us at Mabel's was that I really realized how innovative and entrepreneurial our team is. And I do Mm -hmm. find that if you let your team, if you don't micromanage them, and if you give them time to just play and bake that into their work week um, and experiment, then they are more entrepreneurial because they've got a little more skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And I found when COVID hit, of course um, you know, summer camp was canceled. So we lost like one of our biggest seasons. Like, so it was like, we were impacted, but right away we put together this team now and team now is just like, okay, what are we going to do? So we're like, well, we can make stickers so we can make those round disc circles that go on floors as they stay six feet apart. And we can, Mm -hmm. you know, so we figured out lots of things we could do that way. But then we also capitalized on our Brand, our brand loyalty, and the trust customers have in us. So mm. we partnered with a local um, fabric company, and we used our little picture icons and our maple designs. And we partnered and collabed and did uh, did masks, cloth mm. masks. So then all of our customers were like, oh my gosh, because Mabel's Label's quality is so good, we know their masks are going to be excellent. So we sold a ton of masks. So it was really amazing. I just felt like, well, all the other companies were like, what are we going to do to figure this out? Maybe we should have 12 meetings. We just jumped right in with Team Now and, and got moving. That's moms.
0: That is Right? Yes. That is moms in business. We get shit Done. Totally, totally. I was so taken by the corporate atmosphere after I sold, like just all of these people sitting around a desk discussing ad nauseum, like just minute little decisions that we would have just made in a snap and moved right. on and been so much more productive and like meetings upon meetings upon meetings. We don't yes. have time for that. We don't I know.
1: That. And that's why it can be Jill so hard for co- like when somebody sells a company. It's so hard for them to 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 stay and to stick around because you you can you see a lot of change and you're like yeah, this isn't the culture I created it can be it can be a little disheartening that's for sure so that's why I think a lot of people do exit when the the acquisition happens and it can be you know it's it's often a smart move you can, you can stay too long you can stay too long and I think that's a real skill that people need to learn is like when to exit I think. It's so strange, but it's a skill my grandma Lyons had. She knew exactly when to stop driving. She didn't do it too soon, mm-hmm. but she did it before. She, you know, she felt uncomfortable, and she was like, "I don't think I should be traveling back to Ireland anymore." Like, yeah. I, I'm thinking, and she was right. And and people always do things for too long. They hang on too long, and I feel like it's an excellent life skill about when to let go and when to move on. And it takes.
0: A lot of practice to
1: learn that sometimes for folks.
0: Was it hard letting the other co-founders go and, and, and remaining the only one?
1: No, it was fun. I was very happy for them to move on mm-hmm. and do other things. And, and uh, it's not you like know they're what? not
0: in your life, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. And
1: it's, you know what, we needed, that. We needed some freshness there. We needed some mm-hmm. new ideas. And honestly, I feel like the four of us, you know, we brought it to a certain point, but I don't know that we had the skill set between us to take it to the next level. Like I think it was yeah. really important for the business that we made that decision at the time. And I can see that because I can see how how healthy the organization is. I can see how healthy the bottom line is. I can see the culture. I can see the management team just so supportive of each other. And there's nothing, yeah, it's just it's it was it was at the right time.
0: It was, it was how good. Much? You have
1: to think about your organization. You have to think about your other staff.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask how hard the decision was and how much if you all concluded that, or, or were they gone by the time you sold? No, no, it was the four of us still. Yeah, okay. We, yeah, we and everybody down. was on the same page. I guess it's a good thing. Well, four work. is much better than three because three, you never Yeah, be that's right. To make a we,
1: hey, we had a lot of discussions. We, you know, made sure all, the, we had a lot of little boxes we wanted ticked. People had different kind of priorities. What I found hard was telling um. We, it was it was hard telling the staff because we're very transparent with our staff. But because CCL is a publicly listed company, we couldn't tell them. we couldn't tell our staff. So when we were going through due diligence, we pretended we were having a tax audit. and that mm-hmm. just felt me made me feel dirty and like, I need a shower because yeah. this is just not how we. So you know, and then having to tell them, but we made sure we just told them, how it looked how they were going to be impacted like the very 30 seconds like before they were like how is this going to affect me we told them how it was going to affect them which might, which yeah. it wasn't which it wasn't so that was that was that
0: was great we got actually some coaching around delivering that message which was mm-hmm. excellent that's very smart. Yeah, the due diligence um, portion of my sale was an absolute joke. And if anyone uh, doesn't know what that means, I don't know what the technical definition is, but it's all the research they do behind you before the sale actually goes Yeah, through. it's like they that's their peak under the covers. So you've yeah. done the
1: whole, okay, this is what we've agreed on. We've agreed on this, mu- this much money. And then they're like, okay, they come in and they go through with a fine tooth comb, every contract, mm-hmm. every employment contract, every everything. And then that's where they might come back and be like, okay, you know what? We realized that this is not as you said or as it appears. So now we're going to offer you a million dollars less or whatever. So yeah. you, as a business owner, yes, as you know, you want to keep your all your ducks in, in a line and keep really good paperwork and all that stuff so that when the time comes, your due diligence will go smoothly because nobody likes losing money in due diligence.
0: No, no. Yeah. And I I was not um, proactive <laughs> about doing it. Anything. So when okay. it came time for due diligence, I literally had like three thousand emails to give them because that was the only way I communicated with writers right. was email. I had no official permission. I had no employees. Right. Like I had nothing. It was just all like okay, so you. <laughs> but it was such a
1: unique business to our, like compared to ours. Like yours was, but you know, but like by the time we sold, I mean, we have a you know a financial controller we have a uh, payable like we have like professionals in the building we have an hr manager who could get all those contracts together so we were well well supported to yep. to create that whereas i mean again the one the one show pony like you're all on your own this is it's it all falls on you it's hard work
0: i am so happy not to be doing it alone my co-founder is in Asia for three weeks and I'm trying not to bother her, but I just keep sending like, I miss you messages because it's so (laughs) annoying. I forgot what it was like when you're the only one who's obsessing about everything and making every decision. And it's awful. I can't believe I did it for as long as I did. You did do it a long time. And to Uh, go
1: through that kind of growth, I don't know how you did it, honestly. What's next for Mabel's? Well, you know what we are, we are, we are, In the short term, we are getting ready for a very, very busy uh, back-to-school season. We're rolling out new products. We're creating great content. We're doing all the fun things, and of course, we're tapping into new audiences and new like understanding how moms are changing and their and their um, how to better market to them and connect with them and what kind of content they want us to provide. And we're just trying to make moms' life easier. That's always we say you know labels for the stuff kids lose, but we're always behind everything trying to make moms' life easier. So we are just going on this trajectory, doing our we just sat down to talk about our our next you know plans for the next few years and you know it's all about bringing out great products and keeping connected with our amazing amazing community
0: that's so cool you're doing it so right it's awesome julie is there anything else that we that you'd like to talk about uh, no, I guess
1: really just, you know, I love for people to connect with me, obviously, you know, hopefully you throw the things in the link, but check out Mabel's And to find out information about me specifically, you can go to Mabel's labels.com slash Julie Cole. And there you'll see my, my press, my socials, my, my information
0: about my new book um, and all that fun stuff. And order your labels, people, because right? there's no better. Li- there are a lot of imitators now, and yeah. they're not nearly as good. And I don't know that from personal perspective because I wouldn't ever, ever use them. But right. they look crappy. And yeah, yes, look, I really, I really appreciate that. And you know what?
1: It is, um, of course, anyone who starts a business, there's going to be copycats and imitators, and that's okay. That's a legit business model. But being the market leader, we've always stayed the most innovative and a lot of product testing has happened. And I do stand by ours being the top quality. So um, yeah, check out Mabel's Labels, the four moms who started in the basement, the OG label (laughs) company, and and check us out for
0: back to school. Thank you so much, Julie. I hope that we get to speak on another panel sometime soon. Me too. Me too, Jill. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. She's Got Issues is produced by Kira Shine, Play Audio Agency, and me, Jill Smokler. We would be so appreciative if you could rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to check out the magazine, she'sgotissues.com. See you next time.